0: Hey, you, dare to think. Y'all ready to get funky? Pizza's great, but it's not the gospel. Welcome to the campus of LCMSU, everyone. I am the Chancellor, Pastor Marcus Zill. Warning, the show might trigger you. You don't love the gospel. Hey, who let the campus pastor loose in the studio again? Zilly zilly. Today in the Student Union, one of my very best friends, you could call him one of my besties, Reverend Jeffrey Grams from St. John's Lutheran Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. How are you doing today, Jeff?
1: I am doing marvelous. It is a joy to be together in the student union, hanging out with my bud.
0: Absolutely, Jeff and I were close friends when I, especially close friends when I was in the Wyoming district. If I recall, we got we first met because we got in a big fight over the the state of youth ministry and how we should do it, and uh, then we melded our minds together and have been pretty it. <laughs>
1: Well, it's one of those things, when you have two guys with a great deal of passion about a topic, and that would be the uh, spiritual state of young people, sometimes you're going to have a heated disagreement, but uh, in the end, we found out that our hearts were in exactly the same place. No,
0: absolutely. And, uh, Onward we went. No, and uh, it's hard to believe it's been five years since I left the Wyoming District, And uh, but whenever you leave, the Wyoming District always goes with you. I always feel a part of things, and you're a big reason why, and... Uh, As I used to always say, uh, you know, you and I have even had the experience. We've gone to Sierra Leone, West Africa together to teach men out in the bush um, about the gospel and uh, had a lot of great experiences together, Um, one of which I I will say, you have a a little notoriety. You're the only man in the Senate that has ever thrown me around like a rag doll in front (laughs) of my sons, which they were quite impressed by. Um, it
1: was fun to watch their eyes <laughs> turn as big as saucers for a moment and, and
0: I'm, I'm not sure. a small man <laughs> <laughs> which is why probably no one else will reach that that threshold but great to have you with us today um always wanted to have you on the show and i thought we would talk about kind of a timely topic something we usually don't think about in the church um, we're going to talk about doctrine a little bit is that all right
1: i love doctrine you okay, know that well, so specifically that my arm real hard, specifically
0: so. the third use of the law this comes up all the time not just for our students but everyone um so let's let's review a little bit here like you can't talk about the third use of the law and without talking about the law in general um and also what all the other three uses are um but um anyway so how how would you summarize the law we always law gospel law gospel law gospel we always talk about it but how would you summarize the law and its relationship to the gospel
1: well you know when you when you start looking at the lutheran confessions and the teachings of lutheran things it becomes very clear that uh, the law is is nothing more or less than just the will of god as revealed in holy scripture okay uh You know, that's that's the shortest and simplest definition. As Lutherans, we tend to break it down into three categories, uh, or uses, or functions, or effects. Uh, We've got all sorts of fun terms that get tossed around for that. But on the basic level, as far as society as a whole is concerned, the law of God is there to keep us in check so that we don't harm ourselves and each other. We call this a curb, or a fence, or a barrier. Um, it kind of keeps us from self-destructing. You know? Well, we before, before we get
0: too far down into the three uses, when we talk about the law, how did God give us his law? Or has it always been there? We usually go right sure. to the Ten Commandments, but in reality, um, there's there's another way he gave us the law.
1: Yeah, the law, of course, is the the will of God. If that's your definition of sure. the law, the will of God as He has revealed it to us. Uh, that obviously has been around from the beginning. The earliest case of the law would probably be, "Don't eat from the tree." Right. You <laughs> go back to the garden. You had one thing like, to
0: do, Adam and Eve.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <get> one job. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, it was that was the, their way of showing their love for God by obeying His will by submitting themselves freely. They were not sinners at the time. They were completely free to obey God and, in so doing, show how much they loved him. Of course, uh, between Satan's temptation and the pride of man, eventually we fell and there became a mess. So we've needed a lot more guidance since then, Uh, but the law, in general, is written on the human heart. We all know the difference between right and wrong. We all, to a certain extent, have our conscience that rebukes or even... Celebrates our actions, depending on whether they are good or evil. Um, even in the bush, you know, you go to Sierra Leone and you go to deal with uh, guys who may or may not have had much instruction. Um, you know, they have a grasp of the fact that murdering's bad, that stealing's bad, that lying is bad. Uh, that's on the heart. That's well, you know, on when I was when I was a
0: public middle school teacher many many moons ago in Charlotte, North Carolina. We used to always debate whether or not as a whole nother topic whether or not you could have the whether or not you should have the Ten Commandments on the wall in a public school. And I used to always say, Well, I don't really need the Ten Commandments. If Johnny steals if Johnny pulls Sally's hair I don't need <laughs> to point him to the fifth commandment he knows it's wrong he knows he shouldn't pull right exactly if he steals her purse stop
1: hurting people give her purse back
0: why well you know the 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 seventh commandment Mm -hmm. thou shalt not well i don't need to tell him that because this is naturally we'd have total chaos if it was i mean cain and abel that whole story that was before the ten commandments right
1: long before yeah yeah and yet the first murder was definitely uh
0: And Cain knew knew he 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 was was wrong. wrong. He knew he was wrong. wrong. But yet, the Ten Commandments didn't exist. And so the law is written on our heart. And uh, because our hearts kind of are like rocks, God decided to to put it on a rock, as it were, (laughs) and uh, codified the Ten Commandments, reiterated it a, a second time. But when Jesus came around and the the Pharisees and Sadducees were always trying to trap him, and they're like, well, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say?
1: It's always going to come down to the law of love, to love the Lord your God above everything else with all your soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself is the second most commandment. That's the one like it. That's right out of Matthew. And, you know, as we as we listen to Jesus teach on this topic in a very real sense, he's just trying to return the law from The cluttered nonsense that the Pharisees had stacked on it over the ages back to its fundamental carving on the human heart. That you are to love God and you are to love your neighbor. And that actions and words and even thoughts, which are contrary to that, uh, that are grounded in hate and selfishness and spite, these things are wrong. These things are sinful. uh,
0: But when Jesus says... That summary. Basically, he's summarizing the will of God and the Ten Commandments right sure, there. You have, yeah. He's summarizing mm-hmm. the first table, where well, we can think of the first three commandments, which, which are vertical, between God and man. And the the second table, which is between man and neighbor. And both of yep. them, uh, uh, the will of God is, is love in both cases.
1: So, In a very real sense, you know, that's the original law. that Got carved on the heart in the beginning. Moses, sure. under inspiration, codifies it, puts it on tablets of stone, teaches the people of God the implications of it in their life, but in the end, uh, Jesus isn't bringing anything new there as much as he is renewing uh, the law that God intended for us from the very beginning. To love him above all things and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Of course, the side topic there that's always worth noting for uh, uh, not just uh, older people, but younger people as well is that means that you are not only permitted but in a sense commanded to love yourself it's uh, True. sometimes as a pastor I discover people have trouble showing love towards others because they have uh, somehow descended into a sense of self-loathing hmm. that doesn't allow for self-love and it's really hard then to show love towards others if you can't cherish the person whom God has made that you are
0: hmm. so no, that's completely true now the Pharisees they were really good at, at taking, you know, they didn't like the number 10, apparently. They, you know, they were kind of like codifying, take, you know, twisting it, you know, kind of parsing <laughs> it. Um, came up with something like 613 extra laws. on. Time. Now, we have kind of codified the uses of the law. Now, these aren't printed. These aren't written in scripture. You right. Know, but there's three of them, not two, not four. But we've kind of got, done a pretty good job. In our Lutheran understanding of things, to come up with three. What's what's the first one?
1: You were yeah, getting the first at, at the that, that, like, that simple were getting that that one that applies to absolutely everybody in the whole world. It, it flows from that natural law that's written on the heart and carved in the bones of the earth itself. And it's that simple thing that says if you do these things which you know in your heart are wrong, there will be consequences, and we call that the first use of the law. That's a curb or a barrier. It's a fence to try to keep the bad stuff out and keep the good stuff in. You know, Why else do you build barriers? And so, uh, for yeah, example, a, law, when a government is... says you shall not murder, well, that's a first use of the law because the government's going to say, and if you do murder, <laughs> there will be consequences to your actions. Sure, Whether and you
0: don't, you don't have to be a Christian to believe any of this.
1: Nope, like you, can in, whole you can be you,
0: you can hate God and still go yeah you know what it's you know when when 911 happened it's the ultimate example nobody had to sit there and, and quote from the Ten Commandments that it's somehow wrong to fly who like, fl- oh, knew they
1: broke the fifth commandment yeah they have to <laughs> fly
0: planes and, into buildings and kill innocent people nobody has to go you know that's just not right you just know it's right, right. but it's right. not right because it's written on your heart and if we didn't have that we would have no basis, really, for society. So when we think about our system of laws and government, I mean, a lot of it is based on this, is it not? On this whole idea of it being yeah. a curb. And,
1: and this is why we sometimes, in, in politics and our study of Scripture, we'll talk about natural law. You know, it doesn't require specific revelation. It doesn't require tablets of stone even coming down from the mountain, although those are a huge blessing and a huge gift to God's people for guidance. Sure. Um, it's, it's quite observable. It is observable in our conscience. It is observable in nature. It is observable in the way we govern our society. And when that natural law starts breaking down, and you can see that in certain areas of yes, our culture, society today, uh, the damage that is done is very hard to quantify because uh, the law that's written on the heart is subject to attack. Uh, with my own people, I, I have two different examples I'll sometimes use on this. One would be a, like a bucket of ice water. If you plunge your hand into a bucket of ice water, at first it's really going to hurt. Hmm. You know, it, it, I mean, yeah. Take the uh, take the uh, ALS challenge, you know, and put your hand <laughs> in there, and, and you're going to you're going to you're going to feel that bucket of ice water. But if you leave it there, your hand becomes numb. You stop feeling it. Soon, it almost feels warm. And hmm. and as we allow open, deliberate...
0: Don't try this at home, boys and girls. <laughs> consistent <laughs> violation. I mean, you see your sports guys get into big tanks of ice water to
1: reduce inflammation after a football game. Sure. Uh, ask them how comfortable it is when they first get in versus when they sit there for a while. You know, And this is what we do with our culture when we allow open violations of natural law and we keep telling people it's okay they start to become numb scripture also uses an analogy where it talks of consciences being seared mm. as with a hot iron and that's a good biblical analogy and uh, the idea there is that if you get burned in a spot on your body you know one of the most painful things we endure is burns mm. but if you keep getting burned in the same place eventually those nerves go dead and the scar tissue builds up and you won't even feeling it anymore this is the danger of openly abusing the natural law so the curb is there, the law is written on the heart the government's job is to enforce that law and reward the righteous and punish the evildoer it's all part of that universal system that God has established to bless us in the left hand kingdom but we do need to be aware that that law is not uncorruptible in the sense that we can abuse it we can make it go numb. We can silence the voice of our conscience.
0: Sure. So that's that's the law and order keeping us from chaos so that we can uh, lived within the, live within the confines that God our Creator has created for us, whether we're believers or not, mm-hmm. so that we can even function and get along as a society.
1: This so, allows us to have a joyous and blessed life.
0: So that's the curb. Then the next one yep. is the mirror.
1: Now we get into what is the most important, in many ways, spiritual use of the law. God then takes his law and holds it up in front of us like a mirror and shows us our sin, not because he likes watching us squirm with guilt, not because he he wants to just show us how rotten we are, but because he has sent his son into the world as a savior from sin and from the guilt of sin. But only by realizing the depth of our sin can we truly rejoice in the glory of his gift. Uh, I used to have a seminary professor who said, uh, if pastors preach a little L law, people hear a little G gospel. Hmm. And uh, you know, if, if people do not realize the severity of the problem we have with sin and guilt then telling them the good news that Christ has come and paid the price for their sins and their sins are forgiven for Christ's sake, oh, oh, that's nice. I used to, I had a
0: professor, one of my HOM professors, uh, uh, the sainted Donald Duffner used to say, preach him into hell and then preach him into heaven.
1: mm -hmm.
0: And uh, um, so it's a mirror, and that's that's the primary use of the law. I mean, that's primarily how, how we live move and have our being as believers by recognizing that uh you know like 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 uh, Mm -hmm. nathan going to david to show him his sin and he's piling on the law you are the man you're the the one that did this but as soon as he confesses his sin um that's where um the gospel big g comes into play
1: amen so good news that god is merciful and forgiving uh has such wonderful weight such wonderful power when we are aware of our need for a savior.
0: So what's this third use then?
1: Well, before we get to that, you know, this is, this is kind of the, uh, the ultimate, we talked about the purpose of the curb. in the end, that's all just sort of killing time because Mm. God's real purpose in the fallen world. Now is the redemption of souls. Mm. Uh, While he still loves all humanity and wants them to live a blessed life. His true heart for all of them, his true goal for all of them, is that they rejoice in love for his son, and in so doing, rejoice in all of the gifts that he has to shower down on them, not just in this broken world, which is ending, but life eternal. And that's, that's, uh, that's such an important thing to remember, that while we, while we rejoice in the gifts that the first use brings, they're very temporary. Mm. They have no permanence. Whereas the second use, to show us our sin and turn us to the Savior, that is the big purpose. That's the eternal purpose. Now, then you come to the third use, and uh, this is where Lutherans, of course, get into fun discussions. This controversy goes all the way back to the days of the 1500s and the days of the Reformation. It's codified beautifully in the formula of Concord and, as far as I'm concerned, was adequately addressed there. I don't know why people keep (laughs) needing to to re-agonize over it. Maybe they need to look back to their scripture and confessions again and be at peace. But the third use uh, that's often debated is, well, what purpose does the law serve in the life of one who is a Christian, who has seen the fullness of their sin, who has rejoiced in the good news of their salvation, salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, is there any point in sharing the law with them anymore? After all, it's written on their heart, they know it, they love God, they love their neighbors, so they'll be acting accordingly. Pastor, why do you want to keep teaching them the law, it becomes the, uh, the question of the third use, the kind of question that runs behind it. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read you a tiny nugget from the Formula of Concord Solid Declaration. Hey,
0: go ahead, go for it.
1: It says the truly believing are certainly moved by God's spirit. According to the inner man, they do God's will from a free spirit. Yet the Holy Spirit uses the written law for instruction with them. By this, the truly believing also learn to serve God, not according to their own thoughts, but according to his written law and word. This is a sure rule and standard of a godly life and walk. The law shows us how to order a life in accordance with God's eternal and unchangeable will. And uh, and that's really the heart of, of third use, if you will, is as the people of God, because we are still both sinners and children of God. We still wrestle with the old Adam. Mm-hmm. We can still get numb, like I talked about, with the ice water of our age, and with the branding irons of sin we can still get a little confused and a little lost so that even though we love God, we might get a little confused as to how best to show that love. And even though we love our neighbor, we might get a little confused because of all the TV shows we watch about how to help a neighbor who's struggling with adultery or struggling with rebellion against the government. I mean, our culture doesn't do a great job teaching that love. And because... This is where we get confused. Um, God's law is still there for us as Christians to be that lamp to our feet, a light to our path, a, uh, a guide in the wilderness. And That's why we sometimes call that third use a rule or a guide. Sure, um, It's our teaching. It's there to keep us pointed in the right direction so that the whispers of the enemy don't lead us astray so that the numbness and fatigue of our culture doesn't lead us to despair, so that we can get up in the morning and say, you know, I love my neighbor. And because God's word is clear, I know what I can do to be a blessing to them. So it's very liberating in its true sense. And I think this is is where sometimes guys who bang the drum of the third use might be uh, walking into a misunderstanding. Is it's never meant to reburden the Christian. It's meant to liberate the Christian so that they may serve in joy according to God's law and know that it is truly according to his will.
0: So can we uh, can we then as believers find joy in God's law?
1: Yeah, that's what Psalm 119, the longest Psalm in all of Scripture, is about is uh, rejoicing in the law of God. But see, you can only do that if you have already confessed your sin and need for a Savior and rejoiced in the forgiveness of those sins. Because otherwise, you're just going to be dragged right back down into a feeling of guilt, despair, frustration. But if you know you're forgiven and you know that God loves you and His love for you, the gospel, the good news, empowers you to show love to others, then all of a sudden you can say, Hey, Lord, thanks for reminding me that one of the best ways to help my poor brother over there struggling with addiction is to help him see the reality of his sin, learn of the love of Christ, and be set free from the guilt that is just destroying him. See, and you can thank God for that instruction because it enables you to be a true blessing to your neighbor, and truly honor God in the way you live your life.
0: So, in the last two minutes or so we have left here, what, what are some of the pitfalls that this has got? To, this can get rather confusing, as you said. We've been arguing about this for yeah, five hundred years yeah. or whatever. But what, how how should this how should this third use? What's its role in our preaching and teaching um, in the parish and in our daily life?
1: When it comes to pastoral care, I'd say the biggest pitfall, and I I know I struggle with this as well, so I encourage all of my brothers to just be alert for this one, is you certainly want to be instructing the people in the will of God. That's why we have the Scriptures. But don't ever forget that whenever you are instructing the people in the will of God, and we call this the third use for their Christian life, that mirror is always still hanging there. Hmm. Uh, the old Latin phrase was, let sempera cusam, the law always accuses, because the more I show you how clearly you should be serving God in your life and being a blessing to your neighbor, that whispering voice of your conscience is going to be saying, but you haven't been doing that, have you? <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's always that whispering side voice that points out your shortcomings, and that's why no matter how clearly you teach the will and word of God, never fail to share the love of God in Christ Jesus, the forgiveness of the cross, the power of God's word, the gift of the means of grace, the blessings of heaven itself for sinners, so that they can be free to love, as opposed to weighed down by fear and guilt. And that's probably the biggest challenge that I think we face, is we think we can just move on from the good news. Okay, they know that now. They can put it on the shelf and hang on to it forever.
0: Now just tell me what to do, Pastor.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and yet the danger is the more I tell you what to do, the more I have to bring you back to the cross. Right. Because the more you're going to realize you haven't done it. You have fallen short of the glory of God. You have sinned against him and are worthy of death. But the good news is that you have a righteousness that is a gift of God through Jesus Christ, your Savior. And that you are going to heaven because of what he has done for you and in you and through you, but not because of what you yourself have accomplished. And that peace will let you go forth and enjoy serving his will without fear of the hammer dropping on you at any moment because you haven't quite done it as well as you know you should.
0: Pastor Grams, that's a fantastic summary right there. We're going to have to leave it right there. We could talk forever about this, I'm sure. Anyways, thank you for joining us today. Take care.
1: Thank you. God bless.
0: Well, that's all we have time for here today in the Student Union. Check out the archives of this program at kfu.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org.
1: And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus, we'll help.